Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan, crusted chicken, or garlic, butter, shrimp, scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. It's How Do We Fix It with Richard and Jim. Refugees and migrants, why telling stories can change our minds. Ahmad Butter. You know, I am Iraqi American, whether I like it or not, and I can reach out to both sides and try to bring them closer together. First come to America, you know, this this whole uh, kind of idea that America is the land of opportunity is, is still very much true. And with the refugee narrative, it, it doesn't need to be that polarized. It doesn't have to be that all refugees are good or all refugees are bad. So I think most Americans have had contact with refugees. Maybe they just maybe don't know it. How, How do we, we fix, fix it? it? How do we fix it? Richard, we're about to speak with our youngest guest so far. Yeah, Ahmed Butter is 18. Like many migrants and refugees, he's experienced a lot, many challenges and changes. His family came from Iraq, settled in South Dakota when he was 10 years old, and then he's gone on to accomplish an awful lot in the short time that he's had here yeah, he's in this spoken, country. he's spoken to the UN, uh, he's formed his own website which spreads art and poetry, and also he's now a student at uh, Wesleyan University in Connecticut. So now that we've talked about you for a while, Ahmed, welcome to the show. Hi, thanks for having me. So in recent days, the debate over U.S. immigration policy has heated up again with a new bill in Congress backed by President Trump. We also continue to read about the ongoing tragedy of refugees fleeing war zones and utter chaos in the Middle East and North Africa. But first, tell us your story. You came here with your family from Iraq. Yes. So on uh, July 25th, 2006, uh, it was the first night I spent away from home. And the next day, my father came to pick me up, and uh, I kind of could immediately sense that there was something wrong. You know, children usually can tell when, the, when there's something off with their parents without and, their parents having to and, say anything. And you were only like seven, right? Yeah, yeah. I was uh, eight years old, eight years old. Okay. Um, and, but I didn't want to say anything. And then we were uh, driving back home, and I summoned up my courage, and I asked, you know, Baba, what's up? What's wrong? And he kind of took a deep breath, one of those deep parental breaths. And, and he said, uh, Ahmed, our house was bombed last night. And, you know, as a kid, you don't really know what that means. Your world is so limited. You eat, you play, you sleep, and you do that all over again. And so a week after that, we decided to move to Syria. We stayed there for two years um, before finally being resettled um, to the U.S. And you've been living in Baghdad with your parents, normal middle-class life, but things have been getting rough, especially uh, 
in 2006, 2007. Yes, 2006 was the worst year uh, of the Iraq war in terms of uh, how many people died and, and, and just the increase of the tensions, um, just increase of violence throughout the city. And as a kid, you try to ignore these things. And my parents, I think, did a great job of shielding us from a lot of things that were happening. But sometimes you, you know, it's out of your control. And, and after the bomb, our, our little bubble of protection was, was finally popped. So you were living in Syria and your parents had to decide, should we go back home? Should mm-hmm. we try to make a living here? Mm-hmm. Or um, should we sign up for a program to resettle refugees, which is mm-hmm. a very, very long shot, but that mm-hmm. actually came through. Yeah, so they had to choose whether to stay in Syria where we were living or go back to Iraq because they were on paid leave. They were civil engineers in Baghdad for about 24 years, and they kind of just left that job to come to Syria because it was safe. And that, that was before the Syrian civil war? Before, way before, uh, yeah. This was a Syrian civil war started in 2011. Uh, we're now in 2007, 2008. And... Uh, you know, they had to make that decision. And we actually found out about the UN Refugee Resettlement Program uh, by accident. Uh, it, was, it was a chance uh, conversation that my dad was having with a bus driver on our way to Baghdad. The bus driver told my father about this program. And my, th- my father thought, we don't really have anything to lose. And he applied. And uh, six months later, we received a phone call. And we had four one-way tickets to Sioux Falls, South Dakota. And did you have any idea where or what Sioux Falls, South Dakota is? None at all. I thought. I actually thought that America was like in a different neighborhood. When my mom told me we're going to America, I thought, oh, okay, I'll, I have my bags here. We'll hop on a, uh, in a taxi and just go to America. But it turns out... It's like and, and you didn't know how to pronounce Sioux Falls. No, we didn't. No, no, we <laughs> thought it was Sioux Falls. Um, but... We, we Probably figured plenty of people in the U.S. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's, that's a fair assessment. So the first couple of months, we obviously the adjustment starts the, the hour you land in the U.S., but uh, we, me and my little sister, Mariam, who's five years younger than I was at the time, she was five, I was ten when we arrived in America, uh, we went to this special school for newly arrived migrants and refugees just to kind of familiarize ourselves with uh, the language and, and the, just the school system. We were supposed to stay there for a year, but we left within two months, uh, and they put us into quote-unquote real school um, with real Americans, <laughs> whatever that means. And uh, we were there until uh, – we were there in Sioux Falls, South Dakota. We stayed there for a year. My parents found jobs, uh, but then the 2008 crash happened, so they were laid off. Uh, and then we, they, we moved to a small town by the name of Brookings, South Dakota, where they went back to reevaluate their degrees. For you and your parents, how big a challenge mm-hmm. was it that the new culture, the new language? I think for me and my little sister, it was much easier to adjust because yeah, I mean, kids she, are like sponges. Oh, yeah. oh, yeah. And you have to make friends. You know, that's the that's and that's what I think is the most important thing and, and, it, and what helped us with our language skills. English was my worst class in Syria. I couldn't stand English class. Um, and when we came here, um, we're both, me and my little sister, we're both very outgoing. And it's hard to make friends if you don't speak English. So that's a, a constant thing that made us try and get better every, uh, every single day. But it was harder for your parents mm-hmm. than for you. It was. It was. I mean, they knew English already, uh, but their English level wasn't uh, as high. I mean, they, had, they learned it in college. Uh, but when they came here, you know, first, the first thing you want to do is uh, find a job. And that's a key part of the refugee resettlement program. Um, every refugee has, has to actually pay back their plane ticket to America. Hmm. 
full disclosure here, uh, earlier this year, I met you, Ahmed, through IOM, which is the UN's International Organization for Migration, and your family was resettled by IOM, and we're also working together on a, po- a podcast called Together, which tells the personal stories of migrants and refugees. So why do you think mm-hmm. that projects like Together, mm-hmm. why is that important? I think it's important because it humanizes a word that is often thought of in the abstract. When you hear the word refugee, when you hear the word migrant, when you hear the word Muslim, when you hear the word Iraqi, um, usually what comes to mind is, uh, for most people at least, this this narrative of violence and war, and that's it. That's where the story starts and where it ends. And, and with these types of projects, whether it's the, the Together podcast or any other kind of uh, storytelling project that seeks to... Uh, you know, tell the stories of migrants and refugees, you're putting a face and a story um, to a word that's often thought of uh, in a very general way. So I think these types of projects are incredibly important because they humanize an abstract subject. Well, how do you think people in the U.S. look at refugees? There's two answers to this. There's like the the easy one, which is is like, you know, maybe they're, they feel this fear or this um, apprehension towards uh you know, refugees, and, and again, that's a general statement. But I think more recently, with with the with the election, there's this incredible uh, divide. You're either completely for refugees or you're completely against refugees. And with the refugee narrative, it, it doesn't need to be that polarized. It doesn't have to be that all refugees are good or all refugees are bad. But when we hear these stories, um, for example, in the Together podcast, I got to talk to young refugees in America, people like me um, from the Congo, um, from the Middle East. You know, these are young people that show the diversity and the fluid nature of the word refugee. So I think um, most Americans have had contact with refugees. They just maybe don't know it. And uh, so I think most Americans, I think, are not anti-refugee. I don't, I don't, yeah. Well, let me ask you a question about refugees. Yes. Do you think that refugees and migrants should learn English? Yes. And should they assimilate to the culture here? I think assimilation is a tricky word, right? So there's assimilation and there's integration. And I think integration is is more important. When you assimilate, you assume that you're erasing a part of your past and adopting a new one that's going to take uh, the place of what you had previously. I'm not really a proponent of that. I think um, integration is a better word and it's something that should be uh, – Embrace. So, for example, I have now been in the U.S. for almost 10 years. Um, I am Iraqi. I am American. Or I bring perspectives from both worlds. And, and, and so I have become Americanized to a certain extent, no matter how much it pains me to say that. Um, <laughs> you but, are joking. <laughs> <laughs> I am. I am joking. Um, and, you know, I am Iraqi American, whether I like it or not. And I can reach out to both sides and try to bring them closer together. In your personal experience, did you feel a sense of of suspicion or or distrust from the people around you? Not really. I think, I mean, in the first year in America, I didn't really feel that at all. Um, Maybe because I was so young, when you're 10, when you're 11, you don't really talk about politics. You want to play with people and your world is so limited. Um, But when we moved to Brookings, South Dakota, when I entered middle school, then it kind of started brewing. Then I started having more and more experiences in which I had people um, kind of making assumptions about where I was from after I answered that question of, oh, well, 
um, you know, where you're from, what's your religion? I would say, oh, I'm from Iraq. Uh, I'm I'm Muslim, and uh, you know, they'd make that assumption. Oh, oh, so you're from you're a terrorist then? Oh, okay, that's like part of the. And it was so interesting because I felt sometimes it wasn't really out of hatred, but I think they were trying to say it to get along with me, which which is which is <laughs> a, weird. a kind of a weird way of looking at it. But I mean, the way the kids tease each other, you think? It's, I'm, I'm mm-hmm. interested in this. My wife taught. Mm-hmm. middle school in the yeah. South Bronx for yeah. quite a few years. Yeah. And she said a lot of the kids would tease um, kids, South Asian or Arab kids, and they'd call them terrorists. Yeah. You know, she was struck that that word terrorist was thrown around by 12-year-olds. Yeah, yeah. Someone asked me uh, if Osama bin Laden was my cousin. I remember this to this day. I was like, no, you know, he's not. I have a cousin named Osama, but... <laughs> Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. It's not him. It's How Do We Fix It. I'm Richard Davies. And I'm Jim Meggs. You've spoken to a bunch of young migrants and refugees. With the election of Donald Trump and the negative things that have been said, especially about immigrants, do you feel there's been a change of mood? I think it's reinforced uh, this need to get these stories out. So the administration and, and, and its uh, policies are making themselves felt. Um, and, but it's not just fear. You know, it's not just, oh, I'm, I'm afraid that I'm going to be sent back to my country or that my status is going to be revoked. It's this first, this realization that, hey, I'm here and I'm here to stay and I'm here to contribute. Um, and it's reinforced uh, because of the climate right now that's so against that. You know, you came over here, um, went to public schools, later on your family moved to Houston. Clearly, you made the most of the education that was offered to you, and you, you uh, we won't use the word assimilation, <laughs> uh, but people who like that word would certainly look at you and say, wow, this guy's really impressive. Mm-hmm. Uh, you would call it integration. Yes. Um, I think that's a cool distinction. But is there something in your life that helped you bridge some of those divides what happened in your life to help make this all possible i think i discovered that i had a story worth telling um and sophomore year of high school we had a family friend uh a friend named russell stubbles and uh he came to visit us in houston and he said hey why don't you start writing about your story and at the time i didn't think that i had a story that was any different from anyone else and i think part of that was uh because i I didn't want to think that i was different 
from other people. But I realized that sharing my story doesn't really make me different, but actually brings me closer to people. So I started this small website where I started, uh, where I would put up my writing and my photography and my poetry. And the poetry was horrible at that time. Oh, my God. <laughs> and uh, and I, I realized that people were learning about uh, where I came from through my own art. And it was incredibly empowering. And inspired by that feeling of empowerment, I decided to provide that to other people. So I started my own organization in, uh, called Narratio, where it's an online platform for youth empowerment through creative expression. So we do a similar thing to uh, what I discovered through the web, my own experience, is just provide a platform for uh, young people from all over the world to express themselves and tell their story. So we've published the works of refugees and immigrants and people from you know, all over the world. And through those stories... What's changed your mind? Mm-hmm. What is what have you learned that's new in your thinking? Wow, that's a tough question. Um, I know. <laughs> we ask what them. I, what have I learned? I've learned to help other people tell their story versus just telling my own. But it's much harder to convince other uh, someone else to believe in themselves enough to do the same thing. So you learned English, you did well at school, and now you're at Wesleyan University as a student, and you've had an NPR feature done about you. How did you get from that point of being child of refugees in South Dakota and Texas to, to where you are now? I think, again, it, it just comes down to, to learning to tell my story, to try to empower myself and empower other people. And that's been the thread that uh, everything has run through, uh, whether it's and whether whatever success it was, whether it's the NPR thing, whether it's, uh, you know, speaking at the UN multiple times, it's not it's not lost on me how crazy all this is. And, um, you know, Wesleyan has taught me so much about uh, kind of the bigger picture and the importance of learning to tell stories that are necessary. Because it's a lovely thing that you wrote. Uh, which is that a global citizen is someone who is willing to entertain the other side, no matter how much the other side hurts us to listen to or witness. Yeah. Uh, And I realized this early on in South Dakota in middle school where uh, I was asked, uh, again, when I get those ridiculous questions, but I had, I had a choice. I could either get angry and start yelling and, and say, oh, no, that's not, you know, and, and kind of have a fight or and kind of take a step back and say, OK, well, no, that's not really that's not OK. And then continue to build those friendships. And then in time, those individuals are going to realize, oh, he's really not like that. I didn't what I said earlier was completely wrong. And to me, that's more powerful than any lecture I can give someone. Uh, a lot of the theme of how do we fix it is overcoming differences of opinion, not vilifying the other side. And what you're saying is that this act of storytelling makes it easier to communicate with people, even with people with whom you might strongly disagree with. Yeah. What mm-hmm. have you learned that can help everybody else? I think that's uh, storytelling. This is where storytelling's power comes in because I've realized that storytelling, if, if presented in the right light, is not divisive, but actually brings people together. Do you have to, an example? Uh, I do. There is a guy interviewed last week uh, named Maher Mahmoud. 
Uh, Maher Mahmoud uh, came over from Iraq when he was uh, 21 as a, as a refugee. And he worked at a Domino's, you know, just Pizza. making pizzas. And he, uh, he was a photographer back in Baghdad and was really interested in art. So I think he had a friend, a friend who was an artist that heard about his story and thought, okay, well, why don't we adapt this into something? Then he got in contact with, with the drama school there. And then and he uh, was part of this play at Yale University about his life. And that play ended up coming traveling to Lincoln Center. So Maher uh, got contacted by the New York Times, and they did a piece on him. And then the CEO of Google heard about him and, and, and said, hey, I want this guy to work for me. So he hired him, and now he works at Google in New York as a producer. Um, and he really, really shows, um, again, first, how diverse the refugee narrative is, and that it's not just one story. And he just shows power of storytelling. The video that he made telling his story was spread all over the world and seen by so many, so many people. Speaking of that diversity, what are some special strengths that refugees bring to their new countries? I mean, I'm thinking of food, <laughs> creating businesses. Yeah, I think uh, business, starting businesses is a huge one. I recently heard that uh, immigrants and and those who are foreign-born make up 15% of the labor force, and they actually make up 25% of all entrepreneurs. And that was just mind-boggling. It was such an amazing statistic, and I think it just speaks to um, this incredible need for refugees to empower themselves right away. When you first come to America, you know, this, this whole uh, kind of idea that America is the land of opportunity is, is still very much true. Um, and it's, it's still very much something that is alive and, and, and really, really strong. And, and so increasingly, you're seeing refugees integrating into their communities in multiple ways. And, and business is a way to do that. Uh, of course, food is another imp- really, really uh, important aspect of the refugee experience that is often shared and, and is made very powerful. Uh, and that's also connected to the business aspect of it because you have a lot of, yeah, a lot of immigrant businesses initially are related to food. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Exactly. So uh, I think in terms of contributions, you know, there are so many, so many contributions that refugees make uh, other than ones that are financial or related to business and the things that they contribute range anything from music to food to business. Yeah. I, I want to raise a, a kind of a challenging topic. When Trump was running, one of the the issues he got some traction on was this idea that of limiting uh, refugees from certain countries that have that are particularly areas of of war and and turmoil. And some of his base liked that idea. As divisive and perhaps narrow minded as that might be, there is there have been cases where. Um, where refugees are, are, are often children of refugees uh, from some of these areas, have been, they've been alienated. They haven't, for some, whatever reason, gone through that process of integration with the American society, and they've been drawn into ISIS propaganda. You know, some Somali um, um, refugees who've, who've showed up fighting for ISIS and other cases of, of, um, of terrorism. Are there things we can do to help these communities connect? I mean, I, I think it, it starts with not thinking of refugees or migrants as the other. There are aspects 
of the refugee experience that relate to the everyday American, whether it's whether it's parents struggling to find jobs to feed the family. So you're right. I'm not trying to ignore the problem. There are problems of radicalization and of people getting influenced in a way that they shouldn't uh, have been. But there is that other side that needs to be addressed. And in terms of things that we can do, um, I think it just comes down to uh, first not thinking of refugees as the other, but switching the conversation to the question of uh, two, um, what do I have in common with this refugee family? And when you hear the word refugee, why don't you think about a coworker or someone your kid goes to college with instead of someone that is just fleeing war and wants to uh, come here and just uh, take jobs from the economy? Ahmed so, Butter. <laughs> Ahmed Butter, thanks very much. I hope I pronounced it right. You did. Thank you very much, Richard. <laughs> or pronounced it right. <laughs> thanks for joining us on How Do We Fix It? Thank you. Jim, we've just spoken to Ahmed, and we're doing this show at a time when immigration is once again front and center in American life, the debate about what to do about a total mess when it comes to uh, undocumented immigrants, refugees, and how many people are to be let into the country. There's a new proposal on the table. It may not go anywhere, but nevertheless, the debate has erupted again. Yeah, and I, I thought talking to Ahmed was just such a breath of fresh air at a time when there is so much polarization and this kind of resurgent, um, an ugly, there, I don't think there's anything wrong with being proud of your country, but kind of an ugly nationalism or nativism uh, that is that is, I think, very problematic. But let's make sure that we separate the issues. One thing that happens on both sides of this debate is people lump everything together. Like, if you say you want to cut down illegal immigration, then people come back, well, immigrants built this country. Those aren't exactly the same questions. They're related. Same thing with refugees. That's a very different question than immigration in general. Refugees have all kinds of special... I think we have a special moral responsibility to take them in, um, but there's also I, the, the idea that there might be certain risks for people from certain parts of the world. It's not completely illegitimate. It's overblown, perhaps, but it needs to be discussed and dealt with. And it's, I'm kind of frustrated. There seems to be very little common sense, open-minded discussion of this on both sides. Yeah, when it comes to Congress, I mean, when will it move from circuits and slogans to compromise? I mean, both sides are, are guilty of posturing and playing to their base. There are parts of the Trump proposal, for instance, that make some sense, I think, with when it comes to the matter of, of merit-based immigration. So, so we're, talking, we're, we're talking about the, the bill to, uh, to change the, the legal immigration system, who gets green cards, and to f- use a point system which would favor people who— speak English, they're more educated, and various other things that would basically mean people immigrating more into the middle class as opposed to uneducated. Um, yeah, uh, well, well, the system we have right now is based much more on family contacts. Right. For instance, if you're the second cousin of somebody and you know somebody who's been in this country... I'm not your second you, cousin. Okay, <laughs> but if right, you're right. a cousin, you, right. you jump ahead of someone who may well have a strong proficiency in English and has got an engineering degree and could immediately jump into this country and, and do some real good and, and get a job and contribute to society. What I don't like about this Trump proposal is this huge cuts in the, in the number of, yes. of immigrants. But there's a whole backlash against the whole idea that the country has a right to be at all selective about things like education levels. I think that's 
silly. I mean, many other countries, Canada does that. You know, many other countries around the world work this way. It's not racist or nativist to want to bring in people who can make an immediate positive impact on your economy. And that's, that's your beef with the left and the way that it's framed this debate. My beef with the right is that they just often come across as mean. Oh, that's so I mean, true. St- Stephen Miller, who's the Trump speechwriter who spoke at the White House recently, comes across as arrogant, as cold-hearted, and, and also as nativist, is absolutely certain that the only way to look at things is his viewpoint. And this kids he's like 30 or something, and I feel has a very negative perspective right. on immigrants. And then there's this awful optics that, that Trump had when he announces new immigration policy and he's surrounded by white men. Well, I suspect that anything sensible in terms of immigration reform that a lot of people could agree on, including a lot of Democrats, Trump will find a way to make it sound horrible and turn everyone against it. They've got this knack to take things that are at least debatable and make them sound horrible. That That is not the way to get policy through and it's not the way to convince people to come to your side and like so many issues we we can find ideas and solutions not from just one side of the political aisle but from both right well you know one thing that's so much fun about talking to Ahmed was this notion that he, he talks about storytelling I see it as this human connection seeing people the human side of their stories and seeing them as people and not just as numbers. It's been a theme of our show from the get-go, you know, of, of, and I love what he said about being a global citizen means being able to listen to something, even if it's hurtful and still see the person behind it. We need more of that. You know, these aren't easy questions. Pretending like one side is all evil and racist or the other side is just, you know, uh, a bunch of crazy lefties. Or, or, or globalists. Yeah, is, is not helpful. These are hard questions, and, and I think they need a more generous spirit of being able to raise the topics and, and being able to talk about different options. It's How Do We Fix It? I'm Richard Davies. You certainly didn't solve that one. <laughs> I'm Jim May. <laughs> Our producer is Miranda Schaefer, and the music's by Lou Stravinsky, and we are a production of Davies Content. We make digital audio for companies and nonprofits. Please subscribe to us on iTunes and hit that subscribe button. Find out more about how we make our shows at Davies Content. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm, HelloFresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. 10.com.